0: <clears throat> so this morning I wanted to speak a little bit about right effort. You know, yesterday I spoke about you know that in the as the practice unfolds, you know, we we start to notice certain, you know, limitations which we have lived inside of like in a box, you know, that they start to become conscious and then you know at one point then that box you know falls apart and it looks like you know there's a lot of open space until we realized it was just like a little bit of a bigger box and that's you know how the practice unfolds until you know full enlightenment would be no more box and that's uh, you know one kind of simple way how to describe how that works you know when we suddenly become aware about the limitations of our worldview you know suddenly we hit this glass ceiling so to say and what before was perfectly adequate starts to feel not right any longer you know and this is what we are practicing for we could say you know and uh, the right effort is is necessary for that to unfold you know smoothly because it's not you can't go with a sledgehammer you know to knock down the walls because we need to kind of tune in you know and we need to tune the our minds in a way so they are able to recognize you know what's going on and that's in the scriptures compared with tuning a loot you know if it's too tight you can't really make beautiful music. And if it's to lose you, you can't make beautiful music either. So it needs that balance, you know, between, uh, you know, between a conscious effort, but at the same time, uh, if that effort you know, is informed by aversion to the way things are, then we will not be able to really see what we need to see in order for those walls to dissolve. So it's in the seeing, you know, where the transformation is happening, not in the banging against. And, you know, maybe the banging against the limitations is how we experience dukkha, you know, how we experience pain. And then, you know, become aware there is something there, you know, which I'm, you know, in opposition to or something like that. Or which I'm running after, and then once you recognize that that dukkha, this feeling of uh, unsatisfactoriness or suffering, panic, fear, all of those, you know, um, emotions, they can, you know, be like wake-up bells to us that there's something going on. We need to pay attention, but then we also need to be aware if the if we pay attention with aversion, then we have to also become aware of the aversion itself, you know, and that would be, for example, becoming aware of a certain box, you know, we are in, suddenly realizing, you know, to a lot of uh, time in my daily life, I meet life with a, a certain low level of aversion, for example. That's something, you know, to recognize. Or. You know, a lot in a lot of hours in my life I'm operating, you know, from a sense of low level anxiety, for example. You know, being afraid that my needs won't be met. And then maybe you know at a retreat like this, you, you can actually make friends with that, with that kind of underlying emotional um, climate, you know, you are operating through on a daily basis. And you know, to be able to connect with that is a is a very good thing, because that's we need to recognize that. And then, as soon as we are recognizing it, we, you know, we can meet that with uh, clarity and also with with loving kindness, because this is exactly what what's needed, you know, in order to meet those emotions. We can't kind of uh, wish them away, or, you know, trying to destroy those emotions or anything like this, but we have to really fully meet them for what they are, embrace them, and, you know, allow them to unravel in their own time. Because they are, you know, some very basic conditioning which we have, you know, brought with us from at least early childhood in this lifetime. So it really needs a lot of uh, dedication you know, to be able to meet and transform these uh, underlying emotions. And in a retreat like this, this is a very good opportunity you know to become aware because in, in a daily life situation when we are pretty kind of stressed, we are completely inside that box. We are totally operating from that. You know and We could say you know like modern, West Coast culture is like in a constant panic you know of not getting enough of everything, and that's considered a good thing you know because i don't know why quite, but if you just look around you know on the billboards and in the papers and in the uh, on the internet, it's all about you know um trying to whip up more unfulfilled desires so that you have something to live for you know because as if there wouldn't be anything else out there. So to really kind of recognize this is, you know, what we have uh, ended up in, you know, being one of the most highly evolved species on this planet and in a very kind of privileged part of the world, you know, with lots of um, opportunities and, you know, what have we made of it is, is quite questionable, you know. Maybe more questionable than ever you know if you're thinking what's going to happen um quite soon you know it's like the unbelievable you know what we have been uh, making out of all of those opportunities you know we have we have you know and which so many people on this planet do not have so obviously you know it doesn't have a lot to do with material opportunities a little bit, you know, because we need to have our basic needs met in order to really be able to practice well, or most of us need to. Some people, exceptional people, can do can do it out, you know, can eat just like air and light, but I'm not one of those. And But, yeah. So it's really interesting, you know, what we have been, uh, you know, and, and while we are doing what we are doing, we also kind of... Uh, ruining you know, the planet on the side, you know, and as a as a culture, we're slowly becoming aware of that also now. So we are stepping out of that box thinking, you know, that Mother Earth is going to be able to fulfill all our whims, and we are just realizing that's not working. So there's a lot of um, powerful learning happening, you know, right now for us, you know, as a as a culture. As a species and then also for us as individuals you know we are part of it we are like doing this together and it's a real question of uh, survival you know to become acquainted with those deep emotional strands you know which are really controlling our lives as long as we are not aware this is what's controlling us even it looks like we are in control but we are so much not because otherwise we wouldn't you know kind of do what we are doing and you know in this time now we are, we are it's kind of a huge mirror is is coming and you know, telling us look and you know sometimes it has to get really bad before it gets better you know I think you might have experienced that you know with an illness so, so it has to go really kind of really really bad and then somehow there can be a turning point you know so so it has it has its place you know in in the process of uh, evolution you know as a, as a whole and also as individuals you know we have to again and again we have to hit that wall, you know, where we know for sure we can't go on like this. And then we have to go deeper. And, you know, for that we do have the teachings of the Buddha, and there are also other teachings, you know, which are all pointing towards that the solution doesn't lie outside ourselves, you know, but inside ourselves. And we can't do this work with a sledgehammer that doesn't really work, you know. It's not a heroic effort which is needed, but it's like a steady effort, not collapsing, you know, in the face of difficult material which we need to meet. And that steadiness, you know, that's the real central quality uh, which we want to cultivate. And we have lots of skillful means for that, you know, like the chanting, the bowing, the schedule, We have the ropes, you know, and there are so many things. We have the precepts. There's countless things, you know, which we are using in order to keep steady, you know, to not collapse. And and then, you know, the process takes care of itself because it's it's the mysterious process of awakening, you know. And whatever you put into it, you're gonna that comes back to you. So, you know what, however much of yourself, quote unquote, your ego, you know, you're willing to put on the line the fruit is accordingly. And you can't really, you know, it's not a linear process and sometimes it looks all like it's not going nowhere, there's nothing happening. But you can, you know, rest assured. It's it is happening. And we can only see it quite often, you know, when we are looking back over like five years, ten years, that we can see that there is actually a progression happening. And that's really important, you know, especially now when we are going towards the end of the year, you know, to take stock and uh, look back, you know, onto your life in this way. And you know, basically, right effort in the teaching is uh, avoiding and overcoming unwholesome states, and developing and maintaining wholesome states. It's a very simple equation. You know. So you know, whenever you, for example, notice your mind is lost in one of the five hindrances, you know, which which is unwholesome, not unwholesome in an ethical way, but unwholesome in terms of cultivating the mind towards a bigger opening you know stepping out of the boxes in that context you know daydreaming and fantasizing is unwholesome because not only are you wasting the present moment in that way but also you're strengthening the habit you know and that's the more scary thing I would say you know you're making the habit more and more strong so it pulls you back more and more and it's more difficult to step out so if you bring that you know in when you are wallowing you know in something that might help you to snap out of it you know because you make it more difficult for yourself you know And then you know sometimes you can give yourself a break and think about your whatever you know you really like to think, but just maybe a minute or two and then you come back again you know. So just knowing that, and you know, and being you know, and, and what what is like cultivating wholesomeness is you know in the be- the, the kind of highest form of wholes- wholesomeness in Buddhist meditation would be you know not doing anything just having a mind which is wide open, which is the mind of an enlightened being, you know, there's nothing, no concepts to contract onto. But for us, you know, because we are on the path, we can substitute unwholesome objects for wholesome objects. So instead of fantasizing about, you know, your cake or whatever, or your chocolate, which you're gonna eat at one point, you You just, you know, you hold the breath or the body breathing in awareness. This is a more neutral object than a chocolate cake. You know, it doesn't bring up lots of emotions. It might be also even boring, actually. But this is what makes the mind strong. You know, if the mind can stay with boring objects, which don't have any import, you know, in terms of senses, then that makes the mind really strong, you know. Because to attend to a chocolate cake or to an interesting movie is easy, you know. You can sit for two hours, like watching uh, some great movie, no effort, you know. You don't have to come back, you're just glued to it. But with the breath, I mean, it's much more difficult, you know. But that's what we want to learn, you know, because that would make the mind really strong. Because it has to discipline itself. So, and that's what the meditation is all about, you know, to kind of substitute unwholesome objects, unwholesome in terms of enlightenment, with wholesome ones, and then ideally, you know, to arrive at not needing any object to contract against, you know, because our minds are conditioned to constantly contract again around an object, you know. To really sit with an wide open mind, to kind of recognize the luminous mind, to recognize, to be aware of awareness itself, which is the pinnacle of the practice, is difficult. We can only do it for a moment, and for a moment, and for a moment, but that's how it starts. So we have these wholesome objects as kind of transition, for this transition time of 30 years, (laughs) 50 years, however long, however long time we have to practice. So, it's all a very big project, you know, and ideally, you know, it's important to understand this is why we are here, you know. You have already understood, otherwise, you wouldn't come here. But this is why we are born, you know, as human beings, is to do this practice in some disguise or another, you know, as Christians or Buddhists, Hindus, whatever. We all want to recognize, you know, awareness and then it has different names, you know, it can be called God, it can be called Dhamma, it can be called Buddha nature, it can be called Allah or whatever, you know, many names but it's always only one truth. And it's extremely simple but because of the utter simplicity it's not so easy, you know, to really pin it down, it is not uh, down pinnable actually. But we can point towards it, you know, from many different directions. And sometimes, you know, we get a like a scent that we which we got it, you know, for a moment and then we lose it again. And this is what the practice is all about, you know, to not collapse under that losing and and getting an idea, losing it again, and just keep going, you know, keep going, keep going. And then over time you know, we develop that stamina that there's no more danger, you know, that we would ever give up anymore because we have seen enough. So that's, you know, what right effort is all about, this steadiness and a a faith, you know, which comes from experience, not from, uh, you know, not believing. It's beyond doubt, and beyond belief. It's just knowing it for yourself. And then, you know, once you have experienced it a few times, ever so small, ever so short, but then, you know, there is that trust there. And it's not like a fireworks experience, it's very simple. You know, everybody can experience it, and has experienced it many times, but just not consciously, you know, because if we wouldn't have these moments where the mind is just open and still, we would already be all kind of in the mental hospital, you know. We need that stopping of the mind in order to, um, you know, recharge ourselves, in order to be able to operate, really. So, you know, any moment if, if you're sitting and there's no salt in the mind, just for that moment, that's a taste of awareness. So for example, you know, sitting here and listening to the silence in the room. That's like a skillful means, you know, to acquaint yourself with awareness, which is, you know, not ending at the walls of this room, it's going on through the whole universe. It's this limitless space filled with limitless silence. <coughs> And we can, you know, we can know it, but just turning the minds towards it. And then because, the, you know, our minds are addicted to objects, it can just stay with that silence, with that spacelessness for a second, or even shorter than that, and then it just contracts again. And, what we are going to have for lunch today? And then, okay, we come back to the listening. You know, the silence which is behind the sound of the heating, for example. It's a silence which is behind. Like the screen, you know, on the, in the movie theater. Everything is, is kind of moving on that screen, you know. For example, now the sound of the heating is moving on the screen of the silence behind. And you can't really, you know, cultivate that familiarity with a sledgehammer, you know. It, it, it needs a lot of kind of uh, gentleness and willingness, you know, to start again and start again and start again millions of times. And at least it looks like nothing, you know, but it's like how a, a little child learns to walk, you know. It's just like that. It looks impossible in the beginning, totally impossible. But we have all learned walking. And the practice is just like that. So we can sit for another 20 minutes